0: This is The Space Shot, episode 343 for April twenty-second, two 2018, Storytelling in the Space Age, Part 2. I'm John Mulnix. Yesterday you heard the first part of my talk that I gave at the Cosmosphere this past Thursday. Today you'll hear the rest of it. There's also a little bit of a question and answer session at the end, so be sure to listen in for that apologies for the audio quality today. There's something up with my microphone, and I'm not able to pin it down just yet. Hopefully, I should have it resolved here before the weekend's up. Also, happy Earth Day, and without any further delay, let's listen into part two. Pushing beyond what we thought possible
1: seems to have taken a back seat after the Apollo program, which it gets a little bit more boring, but I don't think so. The cancellation of the Apollo program and the ascendancy of the Space Transportation System, which is the only surviving part of that name, hence the STS designation for every space shuttle flight. This story of human space flight seems to have stalled in lower orbit, but really, did our story stall there? During the shuttle years, humans developed important capabilities and broke many barriers. It was the first time that an American female astronaut flew into space, Sally died. Guy. Guy Bluford became the first African-American astronaut, and Mae Jemison, who also appeared on Star Trek, which is pretty cool, became the first female African-American astronaut. I think Terry Burt's book of the shuttle flights is the second astronaut. I'll that up. The Shuttle flights didn't just break gender or racial barriers. They provided NASA with a consistent, even if it wasn't as consistent as we had hoped, the initial design for the Shuttle, way of sending payloads and humans into orbit. And I've, I've had this conversation with numerous people here at the Cosmosphere and in the space industry, but the Shuttle might not have been the sexiest space program, unfortunately. It does look kind of funky. But it was something that we, many of us grew up with, that we became accustomed to its presence. We made fun of the shuttle at times, but we grew with them in space. We cried with them. And now that we don't have the ability to launch humans into space from the U.S., I think we kind of miss their presence.
2: Let's listen to President Reagan here. For just a moment, since this is part of the story of the show. And I plan to speak to the United States before the Soviet Union. The events of earlier today have to changed those plans. Today is a day for morning and remember. Nancy and I, in the core of the tragedy, we shot a We know we share this pain, all the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. Nineteen years ago, almost to the day, we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. But we've never lost an astronaut in flight. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for to the crew to shut. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers, overcame them, and did their job really. We moved seven groups, Michael Smith, Dick Judith Wednesday, Ronald McNair, Mayer, Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Kristen Nicole. We mourn their loss as a nation today. The families of the seven, we cannot bear with you the full impact of this crisis. But we feel the loss, and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave. And they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, Give me a challenge, and I'll give you with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve and they did. They served all of us. We've grown used to wonders in this century. It's hard to gasp us. But for 25 years, the United States Space Program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space, we perhaps for we forget it. We've only just begun. We're still pioneers. They, members of the Challenger Crew, were pioneers. Um, and I want to say something to the school children who are watching the live coverage of Shah's speak? I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this stuff. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the fun part, it belongs to the brave. The challenge of who was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue. I've always had great faith in and respect for our space program, and what happened today has nothing to mentioned. We don't hide our space program, we don't keep secrets and cover things up. We do it all up front and in public. That's the way freedom is, and we wouldn't change it for a We'll continue our question in space. There will be more shuttle flights, more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing else. Our hopes and our journeys continue. I want to add that I wish I could talk to every man and woman who works for NASA or who worked on this mission and tell them your dedication and professionalism moved and impressed us for decades. We know that we're in this. We share it. a coincidence today On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Francis Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans. Historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. But today, we consider the Challenger crew. Their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. The crew of the space shuttle Challenger. For the man in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey waved wave goodbye, and slipped to serve the ones of the touch and face of God. Thank you.
1: The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The stories we remembered and the ones that truly matter all have heroes that we look up to. We had a lot of heroes during the shuttle program. Some of them were easy to overlook. Mustrape, Campus, Scribbin, Young, Hollow <coughs> Angel, the astronauts, throwing them there. Sullivan, Ride, Glynn Bluford, Collins, Lucid, Bolton, Hatfield and more that we don't have time to mention today. The setting of the human story of space exploration may have been stuck in Earth orbit, but we're still pushing the boundaries, we're still pushing the boundaries of what's possible with robotic explorers as well. Near the beginning of the shuttle's operational life, there was another technology that was beginning to spread that we didn't fully appreciate just yet the internet. I'm not talking about the internet we take for granted today, which is pretty much ubiquitous, but the internet we actually have dial up. And for those of you that remember dial up the internet, the sound is terrible enough, I'm not going to play it for you here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even get me started on what happened to <laughs> that. <laughs> In any case, the cyberspace met the final frontier during the shuttle program. On August 28, 1991, the first email was sent from space from the Macintosh portable. This opened up a new frontier. But I'd be willing to bet and I'd be willing to bet that most of you carried around a phone in your pocket that's way really more powerful than that. In the late 80s and nineties, email was still a novel way of communicating. And I remember wife first had my AOL email account that any email we got was cool and we read all of them. That's not the case now. <laughs> in any case, the flight of the Mac in space was to test human computer interface requirements for crew support applications for an advanced portable computer. These flights laid the foundation for how astronauts <laughs> to communicate the work that they're doing today. Older computers in space also helped very cool side effect of being able to eject an old style floppy disk in zero mm-hmm. G. It's pretty cool. There's right. we phenomenon we've done is we've got an over here of uh, the automatic uh, disk ejection system that the NAC uh, has, and that you can see when we get rid of these disks, you're going to have to see where they go. Ah. That's pretty slick. <laughs> <laughs> Laptops were used basically from that time up until the present day. During the Chantelier program, which was an important chapter that proved a lot of capabilities that we use on the station today, they were there as well. The construction of this massive, football-field-sized orbiting laboratory is what we're going to talk about next. That's the next chapter of our story. <coughs> there were 30 missions spread over a decade to assemble this orbit- orbiting outpost. The modules were created by various agencies around the world, and they represented an unprecedented scientific and engineering collaboration. I've got a cool animation I want to show you here. Since the station entered operation on November 2nd, 2000, we've had a permanent presence in space, continuously pushing the boundaries of space science, and sharing experiences with those of us here on the ground. I'll we'll also make sure i link to a cool app, it's called, that's called Find the Station, so if there's ever a space station pass over where you live, you can actually see it pass overhead. It's pretty cool. Last time I saw it, I was at a conference at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. and We were actually out on the bridge over those ponds when we saw the station, which <coughs> was a pretty cool experience. Eventually, real time internet became available on the station. This allowed the astronauts to interact with us here on the ground, like I had said earlier. And that takes us to the next chapter of today's talk. So far, we've followed the golden thread of space and astronomy, through early astrology into practical astronomy, then to strange new worlds with science fiction, into the Cold War with the space race, and finally with the shuttle. Social media and online storytelling is the next frontier. For how we communicate the space program. The first tweet sent from space was on January twenty second, two thousand ten. American astronaut T. J. Kramer, or as he's known on Twitter, Astro underscore T. J., shared this now famous tweet. Hello, Twitterers. We're now live tweeting from the International Space Station. The first live tweet from space. More soon. Send your questions. NASA doesn't require astronauts to be active on social media. They can engage with the public as they see fit. Social media use got a big boost on the station when Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield began to use Twitter during his stay on the station as part of expeditions 34 and 35 in uh, late 2012, early 2014. He shared his story on the station with people all over the world. and he even shared a of music videos Space Oddity has been viewed a nearly 40 million times, I think, at this point. And he also engaged with Captain Kirk on Twitter as well. Various social media platforms have helped NASA and other space agencies communicate the wonders of more than just the human missions to the station. The Curiosity rover, as we saw just a few slides ago, Has its own Twitter account. The European Space Agency and the Rosetta mission used social media as well. They shared the ambition video, which I kind of thought was for a sci fi movie, but it ended up being just a uh, promo for a space mission, unfortunately. And it's interesting that most of what we've talked about today for all of these things that I've shown you here, have been the accomplishment of governments. We're now moving into the era where commercial entities are gonna have just as big of an impact as governments. SpaceX, New origin, and others are going to start launching their own missions. Right, here's a picture of the Falcon 1, which was launched back in 20. I'd say 2006 or 2007 for this fight. And now you look at what SpaceX is doing now, and things have gotten a little bit bigger a little bit more powerful. And these companies are at different stages of development, and they're sharing social media and telling their stories in different ways. On one hand, you have Jeff Bezos, a little bit more reserved than Elon Musk, but both of the companies are working to tell their own story Yesterday, SpaceX launched the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS. And as we were driving out here for the talk, I actually was watching the live stream. I wasn't driving, but so it was pretty cool to watch. <laughs> there was tens of thousands of people who tuned in as well. I'm sure all of you probably have seen this already. Starman in the red Tesla Roadster. <laughs> I think this is going to become as iconic of an image as like the Blue Marble or Earthrise, and it's definitely the most striking image, I think in the last nearly twenty years. These videos, tweets, these videos, tweets, Instagram posts, and Facebook posts will serve as primary sources for future generations looking back <coughs> at our story. The public's perception of the space program going forward is going to be shaped by short videos, pieces, pieces of audio and online content consumed on devices like smartphones. Companies are going to have to continually work to ensure that their very vision of their story is told in the right way. I want to close with a story of the shuttle Mir flights. As we talked about earlier, computers in space really started to play a role in activities. American astronaut Jerry Lininger, pictured right there wrote a series of letters to his son during his time on Mir. There's a bunch of them, from January to May of 1997. And these letters serve as what I would consider the first blog in space. This is from January 23rd, 1997. It's the first in the series. Dear John, before before this flight, I decided that I was going to be a good father and write you every day. This is my first attempt at that. I realize you're only one year old, and although I exaggerate your talents like any proud father would, I don't think that you can read this quite yet. No problem. When you can, you'll feel good knowing that your father loves you. Space is a dangerous business. I used to be pretty cavalier about it. But just before this launch, I started questioning what I was about to do. You see, I have so, so much to lose now, you and your mother. I always liked adventures. I remember exhausting the elementary school library of mystery books by someone I think was named Gordon. Trying to figure out the ending before the ending. Anticipating, observing the situation, and trying to predict the outcome. Reading about people who were in unusual situations and studying how they were challenged and how they responded. Anyway, the curiosity characteristic is what got me on the space station. But the basic trait of insatiable curiosity is what drove me through all of that. Space is a frontier, and I'm out here exploring for five months. What a privilege. But I sure do miss you, and most of all I want to see you come stumbling around the corner, bellow out your big laugh when I get my surprise-to-see-you look, and watch you stumble back out of the room to do the same to mom in the other room. You know, although I'm up here floating above earth, I'm still an Earthling. I feel the pain of separation, the pride of a father, and the loneliness of a husband away from his life, wife, like an Earthling, and maybe even a bit more acute. Good night, my son. I'll be watching over you. The pain of separation, pride, and loneliness. Those are just some of the human emotions that are going to, that are going to be part of the stories that we tell as we push out farther into space. Last week I interviewed some of the scientists working on the effects of long duration space flight on the human body, and it made me reconsider what I had for today's talk,
2: It's not going to all be tough feelings,
1: though. Imagine the delight of astronauts as they set foot on another world for the first time. We're rapidly approaching a time when a generation of humans won't have instantaneous access to the internet that we have from Earth. This goes back to the timescale that Seneca was talking about at the very beginning of today's talk. The timescale of discovery can span generations, but this time can also pose a unique challenge to crews as they spread away from Earth. Sure, they'll be able to send messages home, but they're not gonna have a real-time, immediate connection with families here on Earth. The immediacy of interacting with people will be limited to the people on their ship. However, they'll also be in a position to tell even more incredible stories than we've thought possible here on Earth. They'll be able to share stories of discovery, triumph and tragedy, and love in ways that no other human can. And unique cultures and stories will spring from these first permanent settlements in other parts of the solar system to hear those stories. Questions?
2: What about China in ancient history and current?
1: Ancient history, there's a lot of Chinese astronomy, and it's not something I was able to focus on just for time. I'll write it down and I can link to some resources. Um, I'll be sharing this as a podcast and I will have a lot of the stuff that I've linked to today, I'll be able to share in the show notes for that. So I'll be sharing sure that. Next question. John, can you yes? share your
2: podcast links? Um, no, I can actually I'll, uh, share that with
1: people. How many of you have an iPhone? <laughs> if, you, if you pull out uh, your phone and go to the podcast app, um, you can search the Cosmosphere or the Space Shot. Um, this will be in the Space Shot podcast feed. Um, it's the first live show, as it were, that I've done, so it's interesting to do it in a little bit different format than I've been used to the last, 330 um, something days.
2: And we can post it on the Cosmosphere's Facebook page as well.
1: Yep, and I'll, I'll link to it on there as well. Any other questions? Yeah. What are some of the health, uh, issues astronauts face, uh? bone well, mass, muscle, muscle, uh, atrophy, um, going from weightlessness to partial gravity and then back from partial gravity to weightlessness <laughs> again. Um, that's a big thing that they're having to deal with. I read how there was a twin who came back and he was taller than his brother, but then those effects lessened over time. Your spine effect? lengthens, I think, like two to three inches. So they actually have to make clothes accordingly to get taller. Just because there's no gravity, in your spine just pulls right up. You go back to the other sure. I don't know that everyone does know about the Tesla car with the driver.
2: Sure. Would you give a little bit of background on that? Yeah, um, actually.
1: So cool video. Um, Usually, when companies launch a rocket for the first time, they send up uh, a dummy payload like concrete like or cinder blocks and steel, and it gets really boring. Um, so SpaceX decided to do something a little bit different. Give me one second here. I should have had this one saved
2: either.
1: Here's a little uh, highlight video. I think one of the producers of the TV show West Pearl put this one together.
2: we yeah. Any other questions
1: any other <laughs> <laughs> um, From what I understand, he's in a heliocentric orbit account that takes it out to the orbit of Mars, but not exactly in orbit of Mars. Um, the red paint probably is already starting to peel up just from all the radiation out there, so unfortunately it won't look too good here in another couple months. The other question? Yep. It launched back in. Feels like forever No, no February. They launched. It's hard to keep track of all of the SpaceX launches. Like, there's already been eight, I think, this year. Yesterday was the eighth mission. And they've landed something like 23 or 24 of their 50 first stage boosters. So. Other questions? Yeah. More of a comment. You heard Steve Holly I got a years before how he learned as a college professor that he needed to explain what he had done in space because his students were so young
2: that they really didn't have a realization of the state. Uh, my wife is a science teacher, eighth grade. Okay. And because of testing ongoing this past week, she was able to show all of her tweets, mm-hmm. and her students really didn't have the clue. They got interested, and in it. it has become a conversation. <coughs> How do you think your podcasts are helping students? keep that awareness of work, you
1: know, work well. So social media, anybody with one of these, I listen to a podcast, they could watch SpaceX on Twitter or Facebook, I'm on Facebook right now. Um, it's a lot of common. Um But anybody with a smartphone and an internet connection has access to educational resources. So it's democratized education that they might not otherwise get anybody else. Um, the Cosmosphere podcast and the space shot. Um, at last check, there's listeners in nearly 50 countries, every state in the US, so there's quite a bit of reach for it. Any other questions? Thank you guys for being my uh, guinea pig for the first live. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tomorrow, World Book Day. I hope all of you have a fantastic rest of your day. I appreciate each and every one of you that listen to the podcast every day. I'd be incredibly grateful if you could share the podcast with your friends and family. Tag one of them and let them know about your favorite episode. I'd also really appreciate it if you could venture into the Apple Podcasts app or your podcast app of choice and leave a review for the Space Shot. A steady stream of reviews helps ensure the space shot is more visible in the Apple Podcasts app. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search the space shot or check out the links in the show notes and you'll find me. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.